Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash 365 and get on your way to being your best self. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone else. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash 365 today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 365. BetterHelp.com. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Bill Farley is someone that I caught, he got uh, my attention, and I've written, uh, I've contacted him and say, hey, can you come on? Um, and he has written quite a bit about Florida State, what they can do, what they might do, et cetera, what they do. And so he joins us now on 365 Sports. And, Bill, i got to be honest with you up front. A lot of what you write is kind of like can confuse me and others, but that's why I wanted to have you on the show. First of all, thanks for your time. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. How did you – why did this story become the one? Is this because this could be the end of – of conference realignment as we know it, or that you've jumped into this one? Well, I, um, I said, first of all, my, it's, it's in my uh, professional interest that my professional career, I worked on real estate, joint ventures, economic development, 10 years in the public sector, and then 20 plus years in the private sector. And my last job in the public sector was negotiating a deal to keep the NBA Kings in Sacramento. And then my first jobs in the private sector, one was using private equity for a university uh, project um, and then also negotiating naming rights and the financing structure for a minor league baseball team. So this was in my wheelhouse as this topic came up. I'm an Oregon State grad. Mm. So back around August, um, I was working on another research project regarding a university uh, expansion and their relationships with the community. So in August, all this stuff starts to hit the fan with realignment and Oregon state obviously is left out. 
So I turned to that and I started looking at all the documents and making requests. And, and that, that kind of started my interest. And I'm still collecting documents on that. Um, so, so that's what, that's what kind of piqued my interest. And as I wrote about this, the reaction and the interest in what I was writing was infinitely greater than my writing on the Legislative Reform Act of 1946 <laughs> or any of the other topics that I occasionally cover. So, you know, engagement helps, helps my research and helps my writing. So I just found this to be, uh, I was getting a lot of feedback as I was working on this topic, and, and it's, in, it's in my wheelhouse. Well, Bill, you and I sit down with a couple of beers and start talking about the Legislative Reform Act of 1946. We can have a good time. Uh, <laughs> I'm all in. I'm all in. <laughs> but I um, – uh, and you may not know this about me, our, our viewers do. I'm an FSU grad, so your your article really was was enlightening to me in that from the aspect of an alumni who's going to have to uh, of the alumni who's going to have to see this, you know, it just feels like there was this big secret plan, and we'd like to know the details of it because wherever the team is going to be, that's fine, but it seems pretty complicated. But the way you've laid it out they have a pretty clear exit strategy and a plan that could work kind of hinging on how the, the legality or the, the legal cases work out. Right. Right. They, they have, oh, and I should say my uncle Joe is an FSU graduate. He's in his nineties. So he's, uh, he was there when they had leather helmets. Um, so, so, um, as I looked at this, I first was, I, uh, I knew that there was this project, this, uh, project I'll see all of that, uh, that came out in Sportico. So I made a quick request. This, you know, I make these public information requests all the time. And it usually takes five or six months. So I saw they had made a request. They got these documents. I read their story. And I thought, well, I'll just take a shot at saying, hey, give me what they got. And I got it back in a couple of days. And so I was able to go through and look at everything they were, you know, uh, looking at it from a joint venture structure. And because of my business background, I saw a lot of things that Sportico hadn't done. And I knew there was references to bond financing in those documents. So then I went onto the public website and I started seeing all these documents about bond financing and taking that all together, taking the private equity piece, taking the, you know, the bond financing that they've got, it's in the public domain. And you really have a pretty comprehensive strategic plan. It, ha it hasn't been revealed that way, but they really are, they're covering all their bases. They've got everything lined up. And, and if they negotiate a, a very, small uh, exit fee, they are really positioned well with a lot of resources they've identified and strategies to to really promote their um, athletic department in whatever conference they end up in. Bill, when we first started hearing about the, the private equity side of things, it was very much a live golf kind of headline, you know, like they're going to yeah. go grab the Saudis yeah. and the Saudis are going to run yeah. college football. Can you, is there a simpler way for people like myself who, who don't know the ins and outs of the private equity side of things and, and why it's not that, that, that that's being referred to. Uh, is there a, a way you could kind of break down how private equity is intertwined in this story and why it's important, particularly to Florida state here? Yeah. So I, I saw one internal email where, where this, you know, the staff are saying, Hey, you know, kind of on the private equity side, you know, there's a lot of guardrails in the public sector where you can't just take in a bunch of Saudi money and, and, and start, you know, doing all these sorts of uh, projects, it, it really will be very narrow and take, just give a very, I'll just give you a very simple example. And this is in their documents and they actually have um, in the merchandising and the marketing side. 
it looks like they're going to take in a partner and let's say their marketing business today is worth a million dollars. It could be any number. Let's say it's worth a million dollars. And a private marketing company came in and say, okay, we'll buy 10% interest in this. We'll form a joint venture. We now own 10%. We're giving you $100,000. It's like Shark Tank. You know how these people come on and say, I'm, you know, I, I want $100,000 for 10% of my business. And they want those sharks to help them scale it up. So uh, the private venture partner is in for 10%. You've got this million-dollar business. It's generating $100,000 a year currently. Then when they, the private partner adds their expertise to it, and they're getting paid for that. They're, they're getting paid. Uh, there's a line item in the budget that they'll be getting $500,000 a year to manage this marketing piece. Their job is to start increasing that $100,000 a year revenue to, say, $200,000. Now, when it goes to 200000 it'll be split 90-10, just as each has their own partnership interest. But when it say, let's say, they, they might say, well, if it goes over 200000 that's more than we ever thought. So we're going to give the private partner, we're going to split it 50-50 after that. And that's called a, a, a kind of a waterfall where you the, the first uh, spurt in growth is split based on your ownership interest. And then the next level up, it starts to go towards the... Uh, the private equity partner that had has the management expertise that's been lifting the revenue. Does that does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, it it does. It, it absolutely does. Is what is the risk of the private equity, the person who's trying to help them raise this money? You know, their only downside is if they if they don't lift the revenue, and they are they're getting a fee to manage it. Uh, if if it stays constant the money that they, they probably placed somebody else's money, that hundred thousand. And they told them, Hey, you know, you're going to be invested in a, in a merchandising or marketing company, and we're going to get you a 20% return. If they don't get that, they're going to lose customers because their job is to, is to lift companies revenue and get high, you know, get a split of the profits. And they've got, I should say, they've got, I, I see three business lines, separate distinct business lines where they'd have three different equity partners. Every equity partner generally has their own expertise. They have one medical office building equity partner that they they've got an, they announced a couple of weeks ago that's going to do their their 116 million dollar football operation building. That joint venture could come in all sorts of permutations, but I won't go into that. And then the third one is they have a hotel development uh, planned for next to their basketball arena. That could be a hotel equity partner that develops the hotel and agrees on splits and revenues. So it, it won't be just the Saudis, you know, or a, a Saudi type, you know, one giant group. It'll be strategic and they'll have different partners that have expertise in different business lines. So, I mean, that, that to me was the thing that kind of worried me that when you, sometimes when you turn yourself over to the, to the big money, you don't have control of you anymore. You know, it's, it, you know, they'll, yeah. they'll take out the parts of it that maybe people liked. Um, I used talking to, to Smokey before the, the show, like Whataburger was always a Texas company and then it got sold to this big conglomerate and it feels like there's something that's like 5% different about it right now. It's yeah. the same, but it's yeah. different. Um, how do they guard against that? And then also how are the laws written that private equity can invest in a, in a company uh, or a school that is owned and run by it's a state school? Well, in the case, let's take the uh, the, the uh, football operations facility. I'll take your last question because I, I definitely know that one. Uh, so th- what they can do, uh, 
is they can lease the ground to the private equity partner, the private equity partner. So they'll be getting a ground lease payment every year. The, the private equity partner can build the building and then lease back portion of that building to the university. Um, and then, then the rest of the, the building, they could, uh, a lot of the, a lot of private equity companies are coming onto university campuses to kind of tie into research. They're called innovation districts or they're popping up everywhere. But what they do is they'll, they'll bring in tenants, sometimes new businesses, and they'll, they'll structure a rent deal with these new tenants that are kind of hooked in with the medical research of the university and say, you know, we'll give you a low rent. We want, we want a share of your company. So they basically have like an incubator or uh, partnerships with a lot of small companies within their building. And, and then that's how they uh, make extra money. But it's, for the university, they're protected because they own the ground. Uh, the building is, say it's a 50-year lease for the building, uh, for the ground lease. They'll eventually get that building back. And there's really, you know, there's they've got all sorts of protections. They're going to have a long-term lease for their part of the building that they're using, and they're going to be pulling in cash from from the um, uh, from the private equity, and and they won't they don't subordinate or they don't put when the private equity company gets a loan for the building, they can't put the ground as part of the collateral. So the the university is protected. Bill, what's the difference? Yeah, what's the difference between what you're explaining and what Lib is doing with the PIF? Um. So I, you know, I haven't looked at that structure. Um, that's the golf tour we're talking yeah. about, right? Yes, sir. So, so um, I mean, that that to me is they're they're the ownership. Um, they're, they're, I believe, the, a complete owner. But I, I, I'm not really familiar how they're structured. And these things can be structured so many ways. The, mm-hmm. the hotel joint venture could be completely different than the football operations facility, and completely different than the merchandising. Um, in all cases, it's private money taking an ownership, the public sector protecting and making sure they don't lose their land or their access to what they need for that building. Um, and then hopefully they're getting a lift in their revenues based on that private equity partners expertise. So when you hear, I think, yeah. I think the live, I think the live example would almost be like, if you just turned the whole thing, you know, just said, we're going to uh-huh. license the whole athletic department out to somebody and you guys, you know, can lease, you can lease our football stadium. You can lease our arena. Uh, you will hire all the, you know, you will hire all the athletes. You'll do all this. Uh, I mean, that, I think that would be like so far on the other side of the spectrum from what universities are typically involved in. I don't, I don't see the Florida state breaking ground with anything that hasn't been done already on university campuses. All right. So the, the, the buyout appears to be like 120 million if you look at the exit or the uh, grant of rights, that could you see numbers that are five hundred and seventy-two million dollars, and of course that can be negotiated. What are your thoughts yeah. that the ACC would negotiate, like let's say even halfway to Florida State where they are right now? Is that even a possibility? Because if they do, their conference might just break apart. Yeah, I think uh, when Florida State, you know, enter, enters, you kind of goes on the offense and. and uh, files a lawsuit. There, obviously, there is a one-on-one negotiate between between them and the ACC at start. But very quickly, it becomes a three-way negotiation because ESPN is going to start saying, "Hey, you know, now let me look at this." 
do I want to pull the trigger on and just tell the ACC that I'm not going to be extending that grant of rights past 2027, I think is the first stop they have. Uh, so you, now you've got a three-way negotiation. So my expectation is that ESPN, just like they played a role with the uh, helping the Big 12 pull in four teams from the Pac-12, they're going to, I think they're going to be a party to this negotiation and it's going to drive the exit cost way down. Um, so I, I, my, my expectation is it's going to come way down to where it's comfortable for Florida State to get out. Whether it helps the other schools get out, I'm not sure. That Florida State is, is, to me, as I look at their financial situation, there can't be many other schools in the ACC that can match their financial strength. So, uh, you know, if they set it at $200 million, Florida State gets out. Can everybody else put that bill? Uh, you know, when they turn over the, the, the cushions in their sofa, they might not be finding gold bars. They might be finding loose chains. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Bill, uh, to, to that end, when it comes into the three-way negotiation, do you think that these court cases will ever actually see the inside of a courtroom, or is this just the first part of uh, what will inevitably be a negotiation? Because I, I don't think all parties involved here really want everything out in the open. No, sadly for me, because I want to <laughs> see all those documents. <laughs> because I... I Part of, part of what I've done in other research projects is I make these public records requests so I can get everything and see w w what were these folks lying about, what were they misrepresenting, which where were they telling the truth. You know, I'm trying to help a community or fans in this case understand w what how these narratives, you know, how accurate they were. So, unfortunately, I think it, for me, uh, but good for Florida State, it's going to be settled because nobody wants discovery uh, we we've seen snippets of stuff from the pac-12 and it, it is horrible public relations for those university presidents who are all thinking they're all rational actors they're all thinking about their own careers commissioners are thinking about their careers uh, nobody wants this that type of exposure uh, those emails uh, coming out speaking of the pac-12 the pac-2 with oregon state washington state which is close to your heart what are your overall thoughts of what's happened and what will happen with those two? Well, you know, I, I was asked that question the other day uh, on, on a program where I just talked about Oregon State. And I, I was kind of stumped, even though I'm immersed in this, and I think about it all the time. But you have to you have to think about employment. What, you have to think about what's the future of employment wages for football players? What's the future of NIL? Uh, What's the future of this super league that's going to take a lot of the resources away from 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 the media companies or redirect it to to concentrate at the top? When I see all of that, um, you know, I think Oregon State, Washington State will be part of a West Coast football league. Um, you know, probably predominantly the Mountain West, uh, which is good football. I've I've gone to a lot of Fresno State. Reno, Las Vegas, there, there's a lot of good football. And there will always be good football because the, there's only so many four and five stars and there's plenty of three stars to fill rosters. So I think Oregon State will have good football. Um, I don't see them joining uh, to a fractured ACC. I, I think I think they're going to be forming a, you know, a, a good, solid West Coast uh, program. Yeah, it's it's a mess. Uh, do you how much of your day 
is spent right now trying to break the code for Florida State and the ACC? Um, well, I got I got through the documents. I think I've I think I've picked through everything that I could. Um, I think it's real. I, I see their financial plan and their resources are pretty much set. They they've got a plan um, to to raise some um, uh, revenue in their ticketing to bring in concerts. That, you know, they they've got a plan to to add revenue to their operations. They've got great borrowing capacity. Uh, they've been borrowing at three and four percent for um, the university system there for parking garages and student housing. So they're going to get great interest rates. They've got a lot of borrowing capacity. So I think they've they've got the money. Um, so I'm I think I'm I'm starting to get past that. I don't I don't see much more I can add. What I'm what I'm thinking about next, looking at while I wait for the documents, is is kind of a future index to say give, given all these factors that are facing all of college football teams, NIL, employee wages, uh, media contracts. Uh, It's going to look, I think, a lot like professional sports in terms of relationships with communities needing to pitch in for renovations, states needing to pitch in. And I started to think, well, what states, what what, uh, football schools are going to have all the dynamic, all the pieces where they can compete at the highest levels? Because I think about an Arkansas and a Mississippi and some of the some of the um, schools that are in big conferences now, but maybe are not in resource-rich communities, how are they going to survive? Um, how is their fan uh, base going to support them when they when they're kind of perpetually three and ten or so, or three or nine uh, in these super leagues? So I think there's a. I've been thinking, and it, this also started with a. The Pac-12 gave us a stratification from top to bottom. Here are your top schools and here are your bottom schools. Mm-hmm. And it kind of neatly slotted them into dollar values. And now you add on, well, can Arizona, can they afford NIL? Can they afford employee salaries that broke? You know, so maybe they drop down a couple more rungs and, and, and they're going to have a difficult time in the future. So that's, that's what I'm thinking about now is how do you, how do you kind of com, uh, construct a futures index for football teams uh, given all these dynamics that are that are facing us, my last question for you: If 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 the momentum eventually is obvious for Florida State, how yeah. soon will North Carolina, Clemson, and others file their get the hell out of there? Will it be like even before the the uh, ink is dry? I, I would think if they've got a wink and a nod, like Oregon and Washington, you know, had a wink and a nod from the Big Ten. Um, and I know the, everybody, even Oregon State, was talking to the ACC and the Big 12. But everybody was talking before the final bust. Uh, so those those teams are talking. If they've got if they've got the opening, yeah, they file immediately and they get out because um, I think those schools probably have the staying power to compete at the top level. And the other ones, you know, really just have to think about. Uh, whether they want to invest that much money. Uh, and again, it, every university is different. A- Arizona needs football to drive application. Oregon needs football to drive applications. UCLA does not need football to drive applications. Um, every university has got their own kind of combination of what they get out of football and what they can put into football. So the, the ones you mentioned seem to be ones that would be good to go up. And everybody else, uh, you have to look at them individually. 
Bill, I'm glad I, I reached out to you, man. You're doing a, a hell of a job for a lot of people. I just mentioned it. I'm going to put it on my Twitter feed that they have not read you or have not subscribed to what you do. They need to. Uh, we appreciate it. I'm so glad we are able to get you on the show to help make sense of otherwise a pretty complicated situation. Okay. I hope, hope I didn't add no. any confusion. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> quite it, the opposite. Uh, uh, it helped quite a bit. Thank you. Bill Farley, Substack at Bill Farley, Ph.D., uh, his background of how he got into this and all that, and uh, I, I'm really glad we got him on. This has been a Rogue Media Network 